0: hello and welcome to the movies we've never seen podcast this podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes if you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title please tune out now go watch the movie or like us stop at the intermission watch the movie and resume the podcast after thanks for coming along on this ride with us please enjoy You once said that uh, you like to make an audience scream through technical means. What is it about an audience screaming that you like? Now, those are the kind of questions uh, that the film buffs like to ask. They expect an awful lot of the sort of material that I don't tell anybody. And it was a nightmare. It was an eye-opener. Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to it. I don't have any problem with enjoying a big blockbuster. I'm not a fascist of those art movies which when they are over you are glad that they are over and then you celebrate it just as a kind of a superstitious measure i will talk about it so that i don't have to see it again or whatever so in a way our, our broadcast was an assault on the uh, credibility of that machine we wanted people to understand that they shouldn't take any opinion pre-digested and they shouldn't swallow everything that came through the tap we had uh, Orson Welles, Albert Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Roman Polanski. We had uh, Antonioni. We did, it was unbelievable time to listen to these guys talk. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm here with a solo episode. I am watching The Double, directed by Richard Iawade. Yes, the Richard Ayawade, the the hero uh, of the IT crowd, Moss. If you haven't seen that TV show, you really should watch the IT crowd because it is just a phenomenal uh, TV show. But we are going to be watching The Double, which is from 2013. Uh, It is starring Jesse Eisenberg. And I'm going to butcher this name. I honestly don't know how to say this name, but it's Mia Wasikowska. What's a Kowska? Was it Wachowska? Wachowska? I don't know. It's a Polish name. So I assume you just like. Yeah. Wachowska? I don't know. Maybe. I, I'm not sure how you're supposed to say it. I've never heard her actually saying it uh, or anyone for that matter. So, uh, But I have seen her in other films. Uh, this is from 2013. Um. I've been wanting to see this for a while because I am, as I mentioned before, uh, well, not really mentioned before, but in, implicated before, that I am a fan of Richard Iowate. Uh He's a very funny man, and I have seen another one of his films before. This is, I believe, his second feature-length film, his first one being Submarine. Now, Submarine is sort of And I jokingly described this um, to my wife who was, you know, I, I said, you know, Hey, remember we watched that movie in college. And she says, I don't remember seeing it at all. And she's like, can you describe it to me? And the more I thought about it, I'm like, man, I don't know that I can actually describe it. It's basically an indie coming of age film. But the way I described it to her was submarine is let the right one in. But if no one was a vampire and that's, Kind of unfair because you would think, oh man, if there are no vampires in Let the Right One In, then it would be kind of boring. But it's really, it's a sort of a little charming film about this kid who is like, he's on a quest to lose his virginity, but also he wants to cock block the guy who's trying to like sleep with his mom. It's kind of a slight dark comedy and almost, like, a weird teenage drama. It's not great, but it's not bad. Like, it kind of shows that he's got some chops for directing. Because, weirdly enough, and I didn't know this, but um, Richard Ayoade directed just a ton of music videos. Like, he did some for the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, the Arctic Monkeys, Kasabian. Um, so he does do a lot of, like, stuff like that. But his visual style is kind of, like, subdued um very much sort of it feels Korean to me like sort of like I'm watching a Korean film like those sort of like somber tones and the sort of longer shots the sort of settling on one character for a while and quiet moments it feels a lot like that so he does have some chops as a director as far as features go but this one was definitely one of those movies that I did want to see when it came out and I just never got around to so what is the double about well you can probably kind of guess here but i'm gonna read you the synopsis for it and you know it makes sense once we do that so a clerk in a government agency finds his unenviable life takes a turn for the horrific with the new arrival of a co-worker who is both his exact physical double and his opposite, confident, charismatic, and seductive with women. So this right off the bat, I'm like, that sounds familiar. Uh, and sure enough, if I look into it, it is actually based on the novella The Double by Fyodor Dostoyevsky. Now, I am a big fan of Russian literature and a big fan of Dostoyevsky, but... Uh, The Double is actually not one book of his that I have read, so I'm kind of going into this blind, and I I don't know how faithful the the adaptation is or whatnot, but I like the idea um, of Jesse Eisenberg playing essentially a double role in which they work at the same office and... One of them is, like, it's a sort of sniveling, like, little sort of scared office worker, which I feel like Jesse Eisenberg is perfect for. Like, he's sort of this unconfident, um, like, pushover of a human being, which you you see in a lot of, like, the other movies that I've seen him in before. Now, I'm struggling, as I say this, to see what Jesse Eisenberg movies have I seen, uh, I'll probably fire up here IMDb to see. Um, oh, you know what? Zombieland. Um, he was really good in Zombieland because he really was sort of that like that was sort of a coming of age film where where he <laughs> he went from sort of like confident not confident but sort of like like very mechanical survivor into this like who was sort of like bad at doing things generally to like ah oh, I'm gonna be like this confident person. Uh, he was also, obviously, he played Zuckerberg in The Social Network. I haven't seen that one. It's just one of those movies that I've never really cared to see. Uh, I should at some point. I do have it on my on my list. Uh, he also did play, uh, I believe, what was one of the other ones that I've seen? Uh, he did play Lex Luthor in uh, Batman and Superman, Dawn of Justice. Uh, and then um, I believe he also played it in... Oh, God. What was it? Um, the other one, the other Star Star Wars movie, the other Superman movie. God, I can't talk today. Um, was he in that? Was there was Lex Luthor in that? No, he may have been like as in like at the end or something like that. But anyway, so um, Eisenberg, I feel like in the movies that I've seen him in, he does do a good job at doing sort of that, like, you know, sort of timid sort of person. And I I like that uh, with him for this role because you can get a – like he also does the confident sort of thing better, but I think his face conveys the more timidity, whereas when he's being confident, he's much more evil. So I do like that this may lean into sort of more horror or evil elements. I don't know. Again, I haven't read the book, so I don't know how crazy this is going to get when it comes to – horror elements and whatnot I kind of get the feeling this is going to lean into sort of like light horror and sort of like black comedy lines because this doesn't seem like it's going to be that much of a drama per se but I feel like it's probably going to go into if not drama it's going to lean into a little bit of like light horror and black comedy which is I think the ideal sort of place for this because that is sort of when you think about Russian literature at least in my mind it's sort of like there's a lot of drama in it, right? It is like the classic, the classic sort of um, Russian literature is very much, you know, drama. But at the same time, there is a lot of like horror, like light horror elements to certain things. And there's a lot of black comedy in, in Russian literature. Like that's sort of where a lot of it goes. It goes into dark places And it uses it for comedic effect. So I'm hoping that he kind of keeps that sort of same vibe uh, Richard Ayawade does. Uh, And I guess to also mention, I haven't really seen a lot of other um, Mia Wachowska. I'll say Wachowska, Wachowska, I, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of her films. But one movie that did come out the same year that this did was actually Stoker which is a film by one of my all-time favorite directors, uh, Park Chan-wook. So uh, that movie was a really good sort of, um, it it was almost, again, a black comedy bordering on horror with a little bit of, um, come to think of it, weirdly enough, uh, bordering on a little bit of drama as well. So it yeah. Uh, hmm, interesting now that I think about it. So I I get the feeling. Yeah, I might like this because that actually had um, I mean, the whole premise of that one. Uh, and I'll go to that is uh, after India's father dies and Mia would uh, plays um, uh, India Stoker. But after India's father dies, her uncle Charlie, whom she never knew existed, comes to live with her and her unstable mother she comes to suspect this mysterious, charming man has ulterior motives and becomes increasingly infatuated with him. It's um, there Again, there are some elements of horror, there are some elements of drama, there are some elements of um, black comedy. So it is kind of in that similar vein, and I really liked her in that movie. So I'm very much, uh, now that I'm seeing the parallels there, I liked Stoker a lot, if kind of Ayawade has sort of a similar vein coming here. This feels like it's in that same sort of genre because Stoker I wouldn't classify as um, horror, and I really wouldn't classify it as comedy, and I really wouldn't classify it as drama. It's somewhere where those things meet in this sort of odd genre of, all right. Well, I mean, because like you can say that you're going to go see like an action film, right? Like, or a comic book movie, or 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 like because there's overlap, right? You know, oh man, I'm gonna go see the Batman. Uh, and you know, and people say, well, what's that about? Well, it's about the Batman. And then if people really don't know what Batman is, you can tell them, well, it's basically a hero movie where he beats up a bunch of people and he's maybe a detective and it's like, oh, it's an action film. Okay. Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, I'm going to go see a buddy cop film. Great. It's an action film. Oh, I'm going to see this movie where this person is haunted by X, Y, and Z ghost of their, you know, dead uncle twice removed or something. Oh, it's a horror film, you know, but like. Movies like Stoker and I guess The Double really sort of defy a lot of categorization because they are just sort of odd in that they don't really follow a more traditional archetype of a film. Now maybe I'm wrong here and maybe Stoker is like, maybe that sort of black comedy meeting a little bit of drama, meeting a little bit of horror, that is just, you know, a drama or a thriller. But I don't really think that it is, because a thriller usually can have a lot of action elements, it can have some horror elements, but it usually doesn't have a lot of the comedy. And a drama, like, you know, it, it'll it have some lighthearted comedy to punctuate it, but it really doesn't have... It's more focused on the interpersonal character relationships, right? Whereas a movie like Stoker, it has all of those things, but it really doesn't lean into one or the other a certain way. So this is sort of one of those weird genre-defying films, I feel the double is, uh, because again, uh, and I'm drawing so many parallels to Stoker, and it could be absolutely nothing like that. I'm hoping that's the way it goes, because again, I've in my mind now inexorably linked the two, because they came out in the same year with one of the same actors, and or actresses, I should say, and it's got, I'm hoping that the one has vibes of the other, because that's kind of what it is, so I, I, I don't know. Again, this is the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I've never seen this movie. Um, But I'm going to read you a little bit of trivia since I don't have a guest on today. I'm going to read you just a little bit of trivia from The Double, and we're going to see sort of where it goes. So let me just scroll through IMDb and find trivia. Oh, also one other thing to uh, note here. So this movie does have, um, uh, just looking at the cast list here, Um, has no one else that I really recognize. Um, it's, it's just like, well, actually, no, I take that back. I recognize people's faces. So this has Wallace Shawn, who plays Mr. Papadopoulos, who is the guy who is from, um, what's that movie? The, the princess, the princess diaries. I was going to say, no, it's the princess bride. They're the same movie um get over it people whatever um the princess uh diaries is better than the princess bride who cares um that's not true uh carrie elvis is great but i think that movie's overrated ha suck it but it's got him in it um the guy who does the oh you just you know it's the oldest trick in the book or whatever it is or like you just made one of the classic blunders or whatever the line is it's that guy um and, you know, it's got a lot of people that I recognize their faces. I just don't recognize their names necessarily. So I'm going to go down here to um, trivia, right? And also this is not the double uh, starring Richard Gere and Topher Grace as I am just made painly aware of of its existence. I forgot that this thing was a, a thing. Uh, the double, with uh, which actually came out in 2011. Man, all of these synchronicities of these like close years. But basically, uh, it is Richard Gere and Topher Grace in a 2011, looks like, slightly Cold War thriller. A ret- retired CIA operative is paired with a young FBI agent to unravel the mystery of a senator's murder. Yada, 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 with all signs pointing to the Soviet Union. Uh, look, if there was, look, I'm just saying here, There's a mysterious senator's murder. It probably wasn't the Soviets. Look inside the agency. It was probably one of your own guys. Like, it's probably the CIA or FBI. Um, I'm going to call it right here. One of the two basically did it. Um, I'm going to say Topher Grace was the one who basically killed the person. I don't know. I don't know how it is, but it's um, whatever. That's, That's another movie called The Double, so don't get them confused. That was directed by Michael Brandt in 2011. But anyway, trivia for the double. Let's see, trivia. Did you know? The piano motif throughout the film comes from the song Der Doppelganger by Franz Schubert. The words to this piece tell the tale of a man and his evil twin. Ah, okay. So we're we're doubling down on the motifs. This is good. Maybe a little bit of, you know, evil twin, huh? There might be a little bit of horror here. Um... Let's see. An earlier version of this film, also based on Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel and also to have been called The Devil, came close to being made by director Roman Polanski in 1996. John Travolta was to have played the lead alongside Isabella Johnny, John Goodman, and Jean Renault. Ooh. Um, from a script by Jeremy Levin. Shooting was to have started in Paris in 1996. However, just days before the principal photography was due to begin, Travolta left the project after an argument with Polanski about alleged changes to the script and the film collapsed short after. Huh. Interesting. I don't really like Roman Polanski as a director, but the cast sounds phenomenal. John Travolta, John Goodman, Jean Renault. Like, that sounds great, honestly. Um, as just a cast, uh, I don't really recall who Isabella Johnny is, I've probably seen her in some things, like, I don't know the name, uh, who, who is she, what was she in? Oh, Isabella Johnny. she was in, oh, I see, Possession, okay, uh, ooh, and Nosferatu the Vampire in 1979, oh, I have, I actually just found a copy of Possession, interestingly enough, I haven't watched it yet, but I am going to very soon, that also has a very young Sam Neill in it, so, Oh, man, where did my trivia go? Oh, there it is. Um, but yeah, that that actually sounds like that would be kind of like a fun film. Again, sans Roman Polanski, because I'm not a huge fan of him, but whatever. Um, also, interestingly enough, John Travolta, because we are talking about the double here, and Jesse Eisenberg does play a double role. Uh, interesting to note that John Travolta also played a double role in Face Off. Nicolas Cage also played a double role in Face Off. They both played each other's characters, which was I recently rewatched not that long ago. It is a, it's a fun movie, except every time I see John Travolta on like, on screen, I'm just like, I, I don't want you on screen. I just want to watch more Nicolas Cage. The best parts of that movie is when John Travolta is pretending to be Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage, obviously, anytime Nicolas Cage is on, on screen in that movie, he's absolutely insane and great. But the best parts are when John Travolta is trying to be Nicolas Cage because he really is so unhinged and he's great at doing it. I just hate John Travolta's actual base character in that movie. I think he's, you know, basically a a like a a Mary Sue version of like an FBI counterintelligence uh, agency. He's 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 John Law. He's he's Mister 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 um, Mr. Allen FBI like. He's just sort of like a, like a Mary Sue character. But once he, like the switch happens and like the weird shit begins to happen, it's great. Uh, anyway, face off. I guess also that brings up the point too of like other actors or other people doing double roles, which is not something you see a lot anymore. I feel maybe you see it more. I don't know. Um, because I mean, in a recent movie that I saw, uh, uh, Mia Goth actually did do a uh, a double role in a movie, uh, and actually it is kind of a spoiler, so I may take that out, but I know the one person who pointed out to me that that was a spoiler and ruined the movie for them. Not ruined, but made the movie less good. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that, but anyway, she does play a double role in a film. Uh, I won't mention it. Uh, if Yeah, anyway. So, uh, But also other ones who are like – uh, off the top of my head, um, Bill Bailey and Hot Fuzz is is really good. It's sort of a bit role, but uh, it's it's really good. Um, some other ones that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, and I haven't seen this one, but Tom Hardy and Legend is one more recent one. Uh, but another one is a uh, um, what is it? The Parent Trap, starring Lindsay Lohan, and also the original Parent Trap, uh, starring God, I don't remember, but I think it's Henry Fonda is the dad in that movie. Maybe I feel like he was involved in that. But whoever the the child actress who plays it there, um, there's actually one of the Francis the Talking Mule movies, which uh, has Donald O'Connor in a double role, which is honestly great. If you if none of you have seen the Francis the Talking Mule films, they're really good, just absurd little old-time comedies. They're really good. Uh, it's starring Donald O'Connor, all, all of them pretty much except for the one where it's not. Uh, it's um, Mickey... No... Mickey Rooney. Uh, I don't know why I always get Mickey Rooney and Mickey Rourke mixed up, but whatever. Uh, but the last one is starring Mickey Rooney. Uh, but they're all, with the exception of that one, starring Mickey Rourke and then Chill Wills. Uh, if you haven't like heard of Chill Wills, uh, and I think I mentioned him in one of the last few episodes where I talked about Meet Me in St. Louis. He does a bit role there. You'll know his voice, like when you hear it instantly. Um, they basically play this, you know, this guy who finds this talking mule and in, like, I guess, Korea, or, like, the jungles of, like, wherever. I think it's at the end of World War Two is what it is, uh, or Korea or something. But he's in, like, like, the jungles, and he's a soldier, and he finds this talking mule, and, like, the mule is much smarter than him, and so he uses the mule to basically get ahead in life, right? But no one believes him that there's a talking mule, so he always, inevitably, someone thinks he's crazy. And it's a really good sort of shtick, and, like, they do it in, like, different things where he basically is you know, uh, they're sort of like military themed films and like he helped the mule helps, you know, Donald O'Connor's character through all of these like situations. And it's really funny. So go watch those, but he plays a, a double role in one of those films. Um, I feel like there are a lot of older films that do this too. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, God, I wish I could. Uh, I think Dick Van Dyke does one in Mary Poppins. Uh, Oh, every single frickin' Eddie Murphy film, right? Eddie Murphy just always, I feel like, does a double role, like, somewhere. Uh, He's infamous for it. I I do like a lot of his, like... You know, he's like the one actor that you're like, yeah, if he's in a movie... All right, where else is Eddie Murphy in this movie? Because, uh, you know, like, Nutty Professor, Norbit, um, Bowfinger, um... God, I'm trying to think of other ones here uh, that that he was in. I think Coming to America, I think he even does a double role in. Um, there's that one. Uh, God, what what else is there? Um, mm, oh, yeah, another one that we covered on this show, Mike Myers in So I Married an Axe Murderer. God, I hate that that keeps popping up. He also does a lot of double roles. So I feel like a lot of the double roles like that I'm thinking of are a lot of them are comedies. Like, you know, the, all the pythons and monty python movies all of them um god who else um there's a what's the famous one that i'm thinking of here um i think alec guinness didn't i think he played like not even a double role i think he played like there was a movie where he played like 50 people (laughs) like i don't know but i feel like there was like a famous one where he plays a bunch of um or no I don't know. It was like Alec Guinness somewhere. Uh, there was like another actor that played a bunch of other movies. But anyway, yeah. And there's um, uh, Peter Sellers in Dr. Strangelove, who plays like about four different characters or something. Uh, Charlie Chaplin plays some double roles, especially in like The Great Dictator. So like like double roles tend to, at least from my perspective, be a very sort of more like, they lean more into comedy. So again, that maybe brings me back to this sort of idea of, hey, this might be a dark comedy, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wishful thinking. Uh, that was just one bit of trivia, I guess. And I've, I've gone on tangents. I'll read another one here. Um, and then I'll go watch the movie. But let's see the first line of Yasmin Page's character, uh, Melanie is idiot exclaiming uh or exclaiming idiot uh which is the title of another novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky, the author of the novel novel upon which this film is based okay yeah so there's many references to Dostoyevsky this is clearly going to be a thing let's see in the ballroom scene a singer performs East Virginia with a band the singer is Finnish which uh, hold on is Finnish he's a semi-retired pop star named Danny I what? Who wrote this trivia? The director spotted him on YouTube. The band is the backing band, The Islanders. Okay, so Iowada, like, he's got an interesting, weird taste in music, so I'm wondering, like, yeah, this, this could be interesting uh, to see here. Let's see. James Fox, the colonel, is the father-in-law of the director, Richard Ayawade. He has been married to his daughter, Lydia Fox, since 2017. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, let's see, another bit of trivia here. Ooh, the name Hannah is a palindrome the same spell backwards, underlying the film's theme of doubleness. I feel like that's sort of a, a disingenuous, I don't know if that was intentional, but I mean, whatever, I'll let it slide. Like, I feel like someone's reading in a little bit too much on that one. Um But anyway, yeah, so there's, there's a whole bunch of like doubling down on doubles and and, and, and mirroring synchronicities, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what this movie will be like. I've been excited for it for a while. I just forgot that it existed for many years. Um, to me, I think this movie has to be a, um, you know, I think it has to be sort of in that similar vein of Stoker. It has to have that dark comedy. It has to have that little bit of horror, like, like dipping into horror elements if this is just a straight up drama I don't know that I would like it honestly like even if it's a thriller like it would be a bit much but like you know if it's just a straight drama I feel like I'm not gonna like it so if if it leans into a little bit of the weirdness of the situation like oh why are there multiple people here that look exactly the same if it goes into a weird like way with that like that'll be great so I think I'm gonna come out here and say like it is going to be closer to that because I do kind of know Ayawada's sort of sense of humor um it is a little bit weird and avant-garde uh and he can like go into that dark humor so i think it's going to be closer to that so i think i'm going to say uh up front that this is probably going to be a four maybe a 3.5 i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go 3.5 because i don't think i'm going to be super wild by this but i think it's going to be good uh submarine for me was probably like a three maybe a 2.5 it was okay it had some good moments but it wasn't super memorable right it was like it was okay so i'd say Submarine was probably a 2.5, honestly. Um, So this one, I am hoping it's going to be better. Um, One other thing I do want to mention here, this is sort of outside of the scope of the movie, uh, before I move on, uh, I do want to give a shout-out here. This is a long-overdue shout-out, but I did want to give it to him, and this is also a test to see if he's listening right now. Are you listening? But it is the real Duncan Wayne. Uh, Go follow him, at real Wayne on the twitter.coms he is a homie he has been uh pushing uh me definitely um to release these on time uh, which this definitely won't be on time but i'm hoping to get back into a rhythm shout out to him go check him out he's a funny dude on the timeline he is a fan of the show so i wanted to shout him out i've got a very supportive community here i've got a lot of other people that i could shout out uh but i did it's been long overdue for him so go follow him if you if you want not if you want. No, just go do it. Go do it. Listen. If you don't follow the real Duncan Wayne, uh, just just don't listen to this podcast. It's fine. Uh, but go follow him uh, anyway. So I'm gonna go uh, at this point. Oh, also follow us too. Don't just follow him. If you don't follow at mwns podcast on Twitter.com, I will not love you long time. No, love you long time. You 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 go. You leave. You 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 bye bye. You are on my on my shiza list as it were so uh go follow him go follow us on twitter.com interact with us do whatever uh and i will see you i guess on the other side we'll see if richard ayawada is the double starring jesse eisenberg and mia wachowska wachowska um Well, something to the i'm gonna keep getting this wrong till the wachows come home i don't know uh we'll see what it is and i'll see you guys on the other side peace it was this person who'd been following me around for a while. And I'd always see him, no matter where I went. Like, at the office, on the subway, by my apartment. You know, in that little underpass thing by the apartment? He'd just be there, watching. I'd like to introduce everyone to our newest co-worker. Soon, you will have my job. Hi, creepy guy. You have to go after what you want. I would tear the asshole off an elephant for a piece of trim I wanted that bad. If you don't tell her what you actually want, how can she do her job? My God, what was this? You want to put your hand on their lower back. At the ass, they sometimes get upset about that, but just above it shows that you're interested but that you can push them down the stairs at any moment. No, 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 stay away from me, stay away from me. No, 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 sir, he stole my taste. Did you notice anything strange about him? I mean, did he remind you of anyone? Did he follow me around because he lived in the same building as me and he got fixated? Or did he get fixated and then move in? This guy just started, why can't you work like that? I mean, maybe he just wanted somebody to notice him. You know, a person can get really sick of just floating by. And... You pervert. James told me everything about you and Melody. And I couldn't see the type of man that I want to be versus the type of man I actually am. And I know that I'm doing it, but I'm incapable of doing what needs to be done. I'm like Pinocchio. I'm a wooden boy, not a real boy. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I am back from watching The Double from 2013 starring Jesse Eisenberg and Mia, I still can't pronounce her last name, uh, Wasakova, Wasakowska, Wazowski, Mike Wazowski, uh, and directed by Richard Iwade. Man, I really like this movie. This kind of surprised me. I was hoping it would be good. I think I gave this a 3.5 before, uh, at the other side of the break. I don't know. My brain has been mush recently, but this movie was really good. It actually really wasn't what I thought it was. I was thinking this was going to be more of a standard, straightforward, sort of like double person. I I don't know, like a standard double role. No, this was bordering on weird surrealism and, uh, and like, I'll say this it was, it was, uh, a Russian novel via Terry Gilliam's Brazil. And what I mean by that is it was set in this weird dystopia that very much was reminiscent of The Office. scene Or The Office sets from uh, Terry Pratchett's Brazil. Uh, If you uh, aren't familiar with that, we did do an episode. Uh, I did that with uh, shout-outs to um, Unmutual Citizen. Um, She was my co-host on that episode. Um, But we watched that one. And this movie was... If we instead of focusing on the character of Sam, like in uh, in that movie, uh, basically, we focus on, you know, like someone else from The Office, we would focus on Jesse Eisenberg's character uh, of, of Simon. And essentially what happens is like it's it's like from the minute one of this movie, it is just such a weird, surreal world that he is creating. And it really does make sense because after having seen a lot of what Ayawade does, and I wasn't really taken aback by this, but I can see why some people would be, is that this movie is very stylized and surreal. It's not set in real life. It It is very much, you know, what you think of when you think of sort of Russian literature. But then at the same time, it is like, it takes those tropes of this sort of, you know, that you have there, and then it turns it into surrealist imagery. Like, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, Sam's character in Brazil, or I think it was Sam. God, I don't remember now. It's been months now since I've watched that thing, and I'm bad with names. But instead of his character sort of basically doing, using escapism to essentially try to, you know, make that his real world and his real life, like he finds like this angel that he becomes obsessed with, and she wants nothing to do with him. There's a very similar theme there. There is, um, this woman who Jesse Eisenberg's character Simon is obsessed with, and that's uh, um, uh, Mia Wasakova. And she nor almost anyone else in this entire world notice him until one day when, you know, he starts getting a little bit, you know, like, hey, you know, he's 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 coming out of his shell to her. He then soon finds that sort of rocked by the arrival of this other person who looks exactly like him. No one notices it. And it's like, is it magic? Is it just whatever? And it turns out that it's just that he's such an unmemorable sort of person that this charismatic version of himself, this doppelganger, is so memorable and fun that he just essentially takes over his life. He becomes him. Almost and, and then even to the point of like where, you know, you see some other background stuff of happening. Uh, you know, Simon gets like a knife from his, you know, mother's nursing home, like the friend in a nursing home, and his mother is sort of like weird. This lady is sort of this weird prophet. I'm assuming there's something in the books where it's like there's some prophetic dream or a prophetic person giving him this cryptic information. I'm assuming in the book. I've never read it. Uh, which I kind of want to now, uh, because I really do like um, Dostoevsky. Uh, I should read this at some point, and I probably will. But it very much does have that feel of Brazil and also the feel of Russian literature. There was also sort of like this weird surrealism that you have from, like, Anna Karenina. We also did an episode on Anna Karenina a while back. Listen to that one. It's a good episode. Um, but Anna Karenina did some really unique things, too, where it was not just a standard retelling of a story which I think is a really good thing with these Russian novels because Russian novels are very much character studies. And while I don't like character studies, the Russians do it in such a way that they add in so many weird and unique things that I think this one and also Anna Karenina did it in such a good way that they're adding sort of layers to it, whereas Anna Karenina did it as almost a real-life stage play where real life and and stage play sort of blurred And sometimes, like, the real-life stuff, like, you couldn't tell what was real, what wasn't. Um, You know, everything in the city sort of seemed to be on a stage. Everything out in the country seemed to be real, and there was sort of a dichotomy there. What happens in the double is that instead of, you know, like, Sam from Brazil, uh, or even, um, uh, not Vronsky, but, um, uh, oh, God, I can't remember his, his character now, but, um... Uh, uh, Domhnall Gleeson's character, uh, Levin, Levin, that's it. It it wasn't necessarily, so Levin sort of went, you know, Sam sort of escaped from the world to escape from his prison, his nightmare, right? Domhnall Gleeson sort of escaped from what wasn't necessarily, he escaped from, into reality, right? And this was a little bit closer to what happened in this movie, in the double, is that, essentially, everyone was forgetting him. Like, his whole thing was that he was so forgettable that he almost wasn't a person. Like, he became not a person. Um, You know, there was no record of him even existing. And so, like, he essentially was trying to bring himself into this real world. Now, it's sort of debatable whether or not, you know, the, the doppelganger character that was played by Eisenberg was real, or if he was some sort of figment of his imagination whether maybe it was like a fight club thing where it's like you know hey these people are the same or maybe it was just that the you know there was some sort of other inextricable russian magic or something unexplained whatevers because at, at a certain point like whenever um simon uh hurt himself you know, he hurt his doppelganger too, or wherever the doppelganger got hurt, Simon got hurt. So in the end, he finds this really ingenious way of basically staying alive and killing the doppelganger. And he actually does end up, you know, winning over, you know, uh, Hannah, who is like this fixation that, that he's had for so long. They're both like really sort of the same character almost, it's just she's female, and at the very end, like, you know, hey, they come together, like, they're very lonely people, sort of drawn, you know, uh, you know drawn to this loneliness, or, or pushed to this loneliness, I should say, by this, like, weird sort of dystopia that they're living in, and again, it's very Brazil, like, like I was struck with how much I was comparing this movie with Brazil, like, there's even, like, some of the lighting in this film that Ayawada uses, while it doesn't necessarily, like, you don't necessarily have, like, a big samurai fight like you did in Brazil, you do have, like, other surreal moments where, like, when uh, Hannah walks into a certain scene, she's, she's in the limelight. She's definitely, like, backlit. She's she's prominently featured. The lighting plays a very important role in this movie. Um, I do also really like a lot of, like, the, like the tracking shots, the, the camera work that Ayawade does. He does a very good way of visually essentially emphasizing the absurd with his camera work and also emphasizing what you're supposed to be looking at what you're not supposed to be looking at because whenever sort of you know jesse eisenberg is you know playing as simon um essentially or you know he's sort of a lot of the times in the shadows he's more shadowed generally speaking Um, when it's James, you know, you see him a lot more in full, vibrant colors. You see more, not necessarily, it's subtle, I think, but there are, you know, the lighting is different for both of them whenever they're being shown. So you can kind of tell which one is which a lot of the times. And it's really good. Um, and you really feel for poor Simon, right? And James is such kind of like this douchebag. It's a really good role that Eisenberg plays. Like, he really nailed what happened here. You really feel for him because at one point he saves Hannah because he's sort of like, you know, you also have elements of rear window there, too, where he's sort of peeping Tom on, you know, in on her. Mm -hmm. Um, And you feel so sorry for him because he basically saves her from suicide because she finds out that James she's kind of like infatuated with, right? is essentially banging anything that can move. And she finds this out. She doesn't want to go on because she thought he was a good guy. She really liked him. He was charismatic. Uh, Apparently she gets pregnant by him, I guess. Uh, And then she tries to kill herself, which kills the baby. But Simon saves her. And then she basically says, like, I don't I won't have the courage to do this anymore. You should just kill yourself because I hate you. And like he gives her these like two last two things and he goes off to sort of do like, you know, you're not sure what he's going to do. And he just wants to enter back into reality. He wants to be a person himself, right? He just wants to get rid of this double, this other person who's been ruining his otherwise, you know, kind of boring life, really. But it's it's his life, right? He wants it back no matter how boring or dull it is. But I think he's also learned some things from James, the doppelganger, in that, you know, he knows sort of like, you know, he knows to at least he's not going to change and be a jerk, but he wants to basically throw himself out there more. He, he knows that he needs to be more confident. He knows he needs to talk to this person because he's found a soulmate, even though he doesn't think so. But she tells him to go kill himself. And then she, it's so depressing and sad. And then she finds that, you know, a long time ago, he got her these earrings You know, because she'd gotten her ears pierced for the first time in like in her 30s. And she's like, who does that? And he's like, you know, I'm going to get you this gift and he doesn't give it to her. It's a whole thing. He gets thrown out of a mandatory company party because his ID doesn't work. It's, It's all sort of like real, like nice little touches to this movie that just make it sort of flow and feel nice, all while being super surreal and fun. And then like the ending, it's, it's, you know, he finds a really interesting, fun way of essentially you know, that's foreshadowed earlier in the film of essentially getting rid of the doppelganger. I don't really want to go into it too much. You guys should have watched the first part of this movie if you, you know, if you could. But really look it up because it's really ingenious. Like, you you kind of see how it should go. And once it starts happening, you realize, oh, they foreshadowed this. This was really good. Um, this way of getting rid of the doppelganger and getting the girl. But she realizes that he's also been saving, like, her art because she's an artist. I don't know if she's been, like cutting her fingers and drawing in blood because that's what it seems like she's doing it's kind of weird but maybe I don't know she then basically like rips all of her art up and throws it out the trash and then he basically goes out gets it and fishes it out and saves it and he puts it all back together and so she gives him after she says that he should kill himself like this book of the art that she saved and she realizes no this is the person that I should be with you know he's lonely just like me like you know, it's like, hey, he's just like me, haha. Um, You know, and he's like, not that bad of a guy, even though he's kind of creepy and weird and really socially awkward. But it's, I feel like it really just does encapsulate, like, when I read Russian literature, it does feel kind of surreal, like it's not real life. And I feel like when when it's in a style such as this, or even Anna Karenina, showing that sort of dystopian sort of future that a lot of those Russian authors sort of like, you know, they, saw into the future or they were living under communism or whatever, like they were like looking at this sort of um, rough, hard life ahead of them, you know, that basically they, it feels surreal when you read it. So when you have a movie that really leans into the surrealism, it is very, very nice to see. And also it was fairly darkly comedic at some points. Now, sometimes they did just throw out a joke here and there, and it was a little bit, not necessarily bordering into cringe comedy, but it was, you know, you know, something like, if I was, like, down bad for some somebody like that, and he didn't say down bad because it's more modern, but, you know, if I was down bad for a girl like that, I would rip out an elephant's asshole to get to it. Like, it was kind of funny and shocking that it just came out of nowhere. There were nice other little sort of, like, moments where it was, like, darkly comic um, the cast, the supporting cast was good. There was even like this little, and I didn't realize cause he wasn't in the cast, uh, Chris O'Dowd's in this, uh, Richard Iwata is, um, uh, uh, co-star, of the IT crown. I always love seeing Chris O'Dowd in a role. He's good. Uh, there was also another, and I, 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 I had to rewind the movie for a moment because I thought I saw somebody that I recognized, but there's a little sort of like you know, mini TV show that's playing, like, in certain scenes. Like, it kind of goes away after, like, the first half of the movie, but you don't really see it anymore. But there's this movie where it's, like, some, like, weird Doctor Who-esque style action film that's playing Um, where it's somewhere between, like, Doctor Who and Rambo on this, like, really weird small TV. And the action star in it, 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 it has a feel of, like, you know, Far Cry... um Oh god, what's the what's the one with the dinosaurs? Like, you know, Far Cry like, I don't know, it's the, like the 80s one where it's like this just meme Far Cry. But like it looks like that. And it's Paddy Considine, who is I love Paddy Considine. He's a really good actor. He's always fun in those bit roles. Um you probably would recognize him from Um, you know, he plays, uh, one of the Andes in, um, uh, not Shaun of the Dead, but, um, I think he's in Shaun of the Dead too, but he plays one of the Andes in Hot Fuzz. So you've, you've seen him there. You've probably seen him in other things. If you watch a fair amount of British TV or movies, he's there and he's a really, he's a really fun guy, but I like those little sort of like moments where you could tell that Eisenberg's character of Simon was really sort of like trying to like emulate this guy cuz he's a macho man. He gets what he wants. He takes what he wants, you know. He does what he wants to do. And like he's just trying to struggle like it's his idol until, you know, James comes around. He's like, "Oh, I can learn from this guy." And they become all buddy buddy for a bit and then things start going dark where at a certain point like James just starts stealing Simon's work, claiming it's his own and he gets promoted and everything and he starts banging the boss's daughter uh who again is played by um uh, the guy from the Princess Bride uh, Mr. Papadopoulos is played by Wallace Sean, who I think was an intentional choice because he does really remind me of Ian Holmes character uh the boss from Brazil, which Ian Holmes character from Brazil was one of my favorite characters in Brazil like he it was one of the my, the best bit roles there other than um oh God, what's his name? Uh... Guy from Hoover and Roger Rabbit, shit, Uh, that guy. Anyway, bad with names. Um, it's it's rough time, but essentially, like, yeah, he, like this whole like situation. He starts trying to blackmail, um, like Simon to do his work. He's like, oh, I'm gonna tell the boss you're you're a degenerate and you're sleeping with his daughter. And it's like, you know, it's this picture of him being a degenerate with his daughter uh with the the boss's daughter but like because they look exactly the same like you know he's gonna do it so it's a really it's a really good movie it it really if you're not familiar with the story which i wasn't like you're not really sure where it's gonna go or where it's gonna end up it has a surprisingly happy ending if you can say that or at least a it it, and even if it's not necessarily 100 percent happy it's a very satisfying ending um but you're never really sure what happens with like you know, like, how this doppelganger was, you know, physically manifesting. Was he real? Was he, like, some sort of, like, weird egregore created by this thought form of, you know, that Simon created of, like, a confident self? Like, that's kind of what I assume he is, is that he is literally just sort of, like, this weird thought form that Simon created because he is so fixating on being a more confident version of himself that he created an egregore that he could only kill, you know, you know, in a certain way, and and I think that that's maybe what this was. Now again, I don't know how weird the book gets in the you know of the double actually, you know, Dostoevsky's version uh, of it, but it really is just a charming film and charming in a weirdly dark, surreal way. You know, like I I laughed. There were some great moments. You know, there were even some like nice comedic slapstick moments where you know, they're trying to do like the whole like Cyrano de Bergerac thing where, you know, Simon is being coached by James and James is saying, all right, you know, she's, she's got a date with me. You pretend to be me, you know, we'll do the switcheroo. And Simon just can't do it. And so he leaves and is like, I can't do it. So they switch clothes. And then Jesse goes out and starts having dinner and patching things up. And like, you know, Hannah's mad and everything. And then they finally like they kiss and make up and everybody in the you know, in the the place, you know, goes crazy and claps. But, you know, Simon is trying to watch this to learn, you know, from this sort of almost back room. And, like, he can barely hear. He starts to hear because everything's starting to get quiet. And then right at a pivotal moment, a blender gets turned on. And he's like, oh, no, no. And then he, you know, turns off the blender. But then another blender goes on behind him. And then, he, you know, that blender turns off and the radio is going loud again right by his ear. So he can't hear it's some interesting, like, really good sort of, like, you know, comedy moments interspersed. Some of it's a little bit dark, some of it's a little bit, you know, more just traditionally comedic. Um, So it wasn't necessarily a total dark comedy, but I wouldn't say that, yeah, this this does live in sort of that weird realm between drama and comedy black comedy and horror like it really wasn't necessarily a horror like it was leaning into it for a little bit there and it does deal with a lot of heavy things but it wasn't a full comedy it wasn't really a full drama it probably was more of a drama than anything um but it did lean into those other aspects quite a bit which I I really enjoyed it it was a very offbeat sort of book adaptation and I want to read the book now honestly um again I I probably would have read this eventually anyway. Uh, it just, I never really picked it up and read it. I love Dostoevsky, but I know this is, you know, obviously one of his more famous novellas and I've heard of it, but I've just never read it. It just never really, you know, was one that I just picked up and read for some reason. So uh, I don't know. I, I would very much recommend this movie. It did surprise me. I don't think it was perfect. Uh, there were a few moments where it was really just hard to follow. And I think that, again, the sort of surrealism, even though I was hoping that it would be there that Iwadai puts into these films, it wasn't like super like, you know, out there. Pratchett, not Pratchett. Not, I keep saying Terry Pratchett. I want to say Terry Pratchett, but it's Terry Gilliam. Um, I mean Terry Pratchett's pretty surrealist too, but Terry Gilliam is very surreal. It wasn't as surreal as something like that, but it felt very much like an homage to that. Again, to it had moments of rear window. But I think a lot of this movie had to do, uh, you know, as far as from a directorial standpoint, you know, there was a lot of like, the soundtrack was very forward, you know, it was like, some of it was like, weird Japanese covers of Russian songs is what it seemed like. I couldn't tell, but it was, you know, fun. Um, You know, all the music was kind of good in this movie, I couldn't really hear a soundtrack necessarily, they were just punctuated by, you know, hey, here's, here's the the music playing in the background and it's accentuating the thing um i feel like it was sort of more of an ambient soundtrack than anything other than the actual like kind of quote-unquote popular music that was in there but the lighting and the camera work really emphasized a lot of the surreal nature of this movie because it was just you know you know how like in in a wes anderson film wes anderson kind of like you know he'll introduce a character and it'll be like ah they're in a spotlight Right. It's like that, but slightly more natural. It's less less stage play than Wes Anderson, but not necessarily real life where it's like, you know, someone new walks on in the scene and like, oh, hey, we're trying to be natural here. No, it's it's somewhere in between the two where it's it's meant to be this weird, surreal world that almost you feel like could exist. But for some reason, it's just it's so out there and bizarre that like it can't possibly right? but all the characters are real. Um, Some people like you see in other double roles. Um, There's like the guard who um, uh, is playing a double role. Uh, Like he also plays like a, I think a nurse in a hospital or something or a cop or something. I don't know. Like there's just a lot of like good moments in this movie. And I would very much recommend it if you like, again, a little bit of dark, dark comedy. Um, some drama, you know, interspersed with, with some comedy and, you know, delving into horror aspects. It was, it was just a very weird film and it was charming in a dark way. And that's what I'll say. I know that some people will not like this at all. And I know some people would just go crazy over this. I think the reason why it probably wasn't, you know, bigger is that this was an art film. Like it really was. It, it, but it was a, it was an art film in such a way that, you know, you really did feel for this character. You really, you know, you felt for Simon. Um, you wanted him to get with Hannah the whole time. You were rooting for him. And just when everything looked the darkest, you know, he really pulls through at the end. And it was surprising. Like, it wasn't necessarily, like, a big twist or a big reveal, but it was like, oh, this is a very pleasant thing that they foreshadowed. Like, it's really good if you pay attention. So I would say... uh I think I gave this a 3.5 before. I think I'm going to give this a 4.5. It was a very a very interesting movie, uh, and I would watch this one again. Uh, I, I want to watch this one again just to kind of catch everything. I want to kind of get a better idea of what Ayawada's sort of directorial style is because, again, he uses a lot of camera movements to basically emphasize, I think, sort of— you know, the nature of how things work, and he uses lighting very well. Um, or at least he uses, it feels almost like expressionism, somewhere between like sort of a Dali-esque, uh, you know, uh, Terry Gilliam sort of style surrealism, and then, you know, like a uh, like a German expressionist sort of lighting scheme where you're, you know, You know, you've got like a character who's, you know, popping into frame and he's, you know, all, you know, lit backlit. But instead of being backlit, he's, you know, they've got halos or they've got like a backlight from, you know, either underneath or above. It's not necessarily backlit. It's just sort of a different lighting scheme depending on the scene. And it's it's, I think it's really fun. Uh, It's interesting to see his style because it really is, I think, unique. There's not a lot of people who I can say do stuff like this. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to stop rambling now and I'm going to say, yeah, it was a 4.5 out of five snake Pluskins. So hopefully this will get out here before the end of the week. I'm probably going to essentially have a couple back to back episodes. I'm going to try to get onto a regular schedule here. I know I told you guys that it's been a little bit weird with my schedule. Um, you know, especially coming up in June, I don't know how, you know, how much time I'll have, uh, to really sort of get back, especially after June, like in the, you know, Julys and whatnot, it'll be probably weirder even, um, because my wife and I are having, uh, another baby, so it's just gonna be bizarre, I've had some scheduling changes at work, so, uh, I have less time to actually edit these, and put them out, so that's why I'm doing a few more, you know, solo episodes, I do have other content coming, uh, you know, with guests. So like I said, uh, hopefully you enjoy this. Hopefully you enjoy all the content. I understand some people like certain things more than others. But uh, either way, if you want to see anything or have any sort of request, or, you know, just want to get in touch or say, hey, Mike, I hated the double. You're wrong and an idiot. Uh, I guess follow me on Twitter at MWNS Podcast. And make sure that when you do uh, use code MWNS at checkout. And also, check us out. Uh, I recently did a a crossover episode. Uh, It's probably not out yet when you, as of hearing this, but I did a crossover episode where I was a guest on the Slurp Gang podcast. Um, uh, Shout outs to Jay. Uh, for having me on. It was uh, myself, Jay, and Dean. Uh, It was a blast being on with those guys. We talked about our top five uh, 80s dudes rock films. Uh, We had a lot of good conversations. Uh, I basically spoiled the ending of our Godfather episode that we did, the first episode. Uh, But it was a really fun time. It's currently only on Patreon right now, uh, that particular episode. So if you want to listen to it right now, I believe you can spend like a dollar um, on Slurp Gang's, uh, Patreon, uh, I think it's just patreon.com slash Slurp Gang. I'll try to remember to put something in the show notes, but don't, you know, don't expect anything. I'm running on fumes here. So, uh, go over there, throw them a dollar, and listen to the episode early. If not, you can wait, like, two weeks, I think is what they said, and you can just listen to it for free on Spotify or wherever you get, your podcasts. Uh, but again, it's slurp gang shout outs to Jay for having me on. Um, it was a really fun time. Also shout out to Dean. Um, you know, 100% brother, uh, right there with you. Uh, <laughs> uh listen to the episode, um, whenever, uh, and then, you know, those guys are pretty cool. Uh, and then I guess just, you know, stay tuned for what's coming next. Hopefully we release every week and I can get back onto a regular schedule. So, uh, again, thank you all. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. And I wonder if it really was, I think it was always was show business. I think they were pretending to be factories and it was still show business. I heard myself speaking these terrible corny lines, and now I was stuck with $350,000 worth of show. And I had to get on somehow. Plus at the time. Oh, they were real jerks. Plus, plus, plus at the time. Really pieces of work. Plus, plus, plus at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. plus plus at the time did you see armageddon i assure you that i would rather have been shot i really did because he was a monster but they all were or almost all of them those guys he came on as a monster you know he snarled at you you like that Plus, plus plus at the time he was a monster plus plus at the time i assure you that i would rather have been shot follow us on twitter at mwns podcast or contact us at mwns podcast at protonmail.com all music used in this episode is produced by young carts and used with license